It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest today is a clinical psychologist, a TEDx speaker, and the CEO of Your Success Insights, which helps individuals, corporations, and athletes achieve balance and peak performance. He's the host of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster, food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. And he's also the president of Every Kid Rocks, a 501c3, which helps schools provide therapy services to children. He is, of course, Dr. Richard Schuster. Welcome to the show, Dr. Richard. Great to be here, Matt. This is going to be so much fun. I agree 100%. I can't wait to have you on. I was blown away by your story, and I thought we might start there. Uh, go back a little bit, and I know that early in your career, I read that you were working in an IT consulting firm, but you weren't 100% happy. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that experience, what it was like, and what really motivated you to make a change. Yeah, I actually started my own IT consulting company, and I bid on a contract with two other people from the Department of Defense that quite candidly had no business winning. Now, we This was not weapons or bombs. This was software for the medical the division of the army. So, you know, it was good stuff. We won. And all of a sudden now, these just grandiose, exciting thoughts were rolling through my head. And I was going to be the next Tony Stark. And it was going to be amazing. And I, I'd come home. Uh, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this. And, and I, <laughs> I'd get on eBay and I'd look up things I was going to buy myself with all of the riches that were coming to me, like uh, a jet and my own island that I was going to name after myself. And, and don't don't turn it off. I'm not that narcissistic jerk anymore. Um, but honestly, that's that's what I was doing and I, where I thought my life was going to go. And then something happened along the way in which I was, and I talk about this quite a lot, I was in a car accident uh, in which I broke my spine and I almost died. And, you know, so, so spoiler alert, I didn't. But uh, it, it really started me down this transitional path towards really taking a look at what was important, what my values were, what mattered, and, and moving towards a career path that fulfilled me in my soul as well as in my pocketbooks. But certainly it started with what was on the inside for me and uh, in a long journey. And I, I know I'm kind of glancing over you know, a lot of that because, you know, the accident story, if I told the whole thing would be longer than the podcast, a lot's foreign time, but that's really what started it for me. Yeah. And I think that a lot of my listeners, you know, may not experience something, you know, hopefully as extreme as you did when it comes to uh, having a car accident. But I think that those, those questions of, you know, I was pursuing something I thought was really important to me and it turned out to not really fulfill me. Uh, whether it's uh, an achievement, a goal, a promotion, making a certain amount of money, you know, whatever it might be, get to the other side of that and be like, oh, well, now what? Right. And I think that that sort of seeking and that searching is is really something that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I, and I think for me, it's interesting because the the thing that happens when you go through something like that and, and actually in the moment, it was really interesting. There's a phenomenon known as tachypsychia. And tachypsychia is essentially the perception of time slowed down by our brain to get out of danger. You know, we have really good detailed uh, accounts of this for, from soldiers who have been in battle where, 
you know, all of a sudden everything becomes slow motion. And, you know, think about like the movie, the matrix, right. And mm. how Neo's dodging those bullets. And he's like, what is going on here? That was kind of me in that, in that moment where, you know, car hits me, sent into oncoming traffic and I crash into a telephone pole, break my back three seconds, three seconds, maybe for the whole thing. But in that moment, it was very, very surreal felt like an eternity the whole thing was in slow motion i remember every detail of it and i literally had a full-on conversation with myself about how ashamed i was that like i'm gonna die all of the material stuff doesn't mean anything because i'm dead and i wasn't pleading for my life i just was accepting that this is how it ended and how how much that sucked and yeah, as i recovered and the recovery process was quite long um, and I, I went back to work. I went back to that job and I think I did it because I was afraid. Um, I was afraid of letting people down and the embarrassment from, cause I told everybody how, how, how all these, you know, the, I, I would tell people like I, the Schuster empire is underway. Like I would tell people that. And now I had with, had to have my tail between my legs telling them, oh yeah, I, I failed. I, I, would, I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't fulfill me. And so rather than, I, I wish I could say to your, your audience, you know, and, and this is a good lesson, uh, like I balled up my fist at the sky and said, I'm out of here and I'm going to pursue stuff I love. I didn't. I stuck it out for almost two years. Mm. Miserable, more miserable by the day. And, and finally, I just got to the point where I'd had it. I was becoming physically ill. I was so unhappy. They were they were getting ready to send me to an infectious disease specialist because nobody could find medically why I was you know, having physical symptoms. I was miserable. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. I literally walked in one day and I told my partners, I'm out, I'm done. And then I went back to my place and I just sat there. And while there was relief around that, it didn't remove the fact that I was still wallowing now. This was probably the lowest I've ever been in my life at this point. And I wasn't to the point of contemplating suicide, but I was pretty damn depressed and, and you know, a failure. And why did I do this? And the time and the money and all these things that I put into this. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you let yourself be open to experiences and open to possibilities things happen, you know, and, and in my instance, it was really kind of wild. When I go back and connect all the little dots, I, I went to the grocery store because I had to. Now, if Instacart had existed, then I don't know where I'd be today. But I, I went to the grocery store and I just heard these two women talking about social media and in particular, their teenage children on social media. And I interjected. I don't usually interject in people's conversations. If you're at the grocery store, I will usually leave you alone. But in this moment, I heard them talking and I said, hey, you know, by the way, um, if you want to keep your kids safe online, think about doing A, B and C because, you know, Internet security was something that I knew about. And I freaked them out. I didn't mean to, but they're, oh, my God, come, come speak to our PTA. And I did. And so now, you know, where I had nothing on my plate, nothing to do, and there was no agenda around this. I wasn't trying to sell stuff. I wasn't. I just was going to help. It was going to help some people. That was really the first kind of spark for me that I felt alive again. 
starting to it was like the first little embers that started to burn and and in the audience was a, a police officer who was on that city cybercrime division whose kid went to the school and he came up to me and said oh you're a really good speaker richard and you know you can say things as a civilian that we can't say because we're law enforcement would you come speak with us and so now i'm starting to kind of do the tour right i'm on the circuit and i'm speaking to parents and uh, at one of these places a guidance counselor was there and asked me if I would mentor a child who was at risk. He was a seventh grader at the time and parents had gone through a divorce and he was lashing out at people. And um, I worked with him every week. I can't even call it work. I was a mentor, which is just therapy when you're not licensed and you don't have any idea what you're doing. Uh, but I did that with him for two years and again, felt really good. And I thought, well, maybe I could make a career out of this. And that's kind of, that's really how it started. And so I, I think that for anyone listening to this and they're at a place in their life where they're not sure, you know, maybe they're just comfortable and that's the worst place to be. It's just comfortable. But if they're not waking up feeling excited about what they're doing, feeling like they're not being impactful, they're not creating change in the way they want to, you have to get really granular about what's important to you. And when I'm on stage, I often take people through an exercise where I really have them list their values because you can't if you don't know inside what makes you tick what is important for you what is essential for you it's like dating right like i got a really good piece of advice many years ago by by some friends of mine that were married and i wasn't married yet and they're just like you gotta make columns man you, richard you gotta make columns on the left side everything that you have to have in a maid and on the right side stuff that's a deal breaker and then don't date anybody who has stuff on the right side. Like, oh, okay. It's kind of like that. Like you go through this exercise and you list three, four, five of the, your, your top values. What's important to you? What matters to you? Because from your values and knowing that, then you can start to really define that. Because values are esoteric, right? Like there's no real tangible thing to them. But from that, then you can derive things that you get pleasure from things that make you happy and it doesn't necessarily have to be things that make you money just things that make you happy because then if you can match those up if you can match up something that brings you joy with something that makes you happy and then if you can even take that a step further and find a way to make money doing it you got it because no matter how many pandemics there are no matter how many political scandals, no matter how many setbacks, how many unexpected illnesses or whatever else life throws at you, if you are in alignment with your values and you love what you're doing, you're going to weather that storm. I think you're really talking about a, quite a journey that you went through. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. You feel that tug of, of either sort of nothingness or, or unhappiness or discomfort, whatever it might be. And then you're faced immediately with uh, natural fear. What are other people going to think externally? Or what does that mean for me if I change my identity dramatically? But then you felt that commitment of saying, I got to make this change. I got to follow through on this thing. And then going through that path of, of opening yourself to possibility, having that conversation, right? And then honoring sort of how it felt to not have a real destination in mind, but say, this feels like the right thing to do. I'm going to feed it. And then eventually saying, okay, how do I actually make this sustainable and something I can actually do? 
and it'll play out differently for leaders at every level. But I feel like there's uh, there's a lot of commonalities there in the stories that I hear uh, people, at least that are on some phase of the journey, but maybe they've they've kind of stuck or they've stagnated in some way. Yeah, most definitely. And one of the things uh, about leaders, good leaders, is that they really have a good understanding of who they are, because I am of the belief that if you don't really know yourself well, it's much more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's much more difficult to really lead others and do it from, certainly do it from a a place of genuineness. And so I, I just believe that as you're on this journey of leadership, self-discovery is one of the most important things. And and self-discovery doesn't mean you, you know, discover that you're great at everything (laughs) because nobody is, but it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses. And knowing those things, you're able to then really focus on what you're great at. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of trying to fix what you suck at. I'm never, I would never make a good accountant. I, there, there's just things that I can't do or I don't do very well. Um, so I double down on those things I'm really good at. And I think, you know, there's always, that's what makes good teams, right? You, you build teams based, the teams aren't supposed to be homogenous. Teams and a good leader can, can create these. Teams are good when they have some people that are rock stars at one thing and you have other people on the team who offset their deficits because I, you know, that's the way to, to build. I mean, you know, like sports are the same thing, right? You might have a guy that's a really bad defender, uh, but then you'll have somebody in another position who's a lockdown defender, right? And you can, you can kind of cover up or offset the weaknesses. So I, I think all of those things are important, but it, again, it, it comes back to really knowing who you are. Yeah, and I think that also calming down, creating that stillness, getting in touch with who you are can be made more difficult by just the grind of the day to day. And and one thing I wanted to ask you, because I know that your work in the schools didn't end when you started giving talks about security and cybersecurity and information security to, to schools. You continue to work with kids and with adults. And my question was simply, have you seen any similarities or differences between how young people or adults experience setbacks, kind of discover themselves, follow their bliss, any of any of what we've been talking about? Do you see any major similarities or differences between you know little people and big people, basically? Yeah, there, there's some pretty big differences, actually, and they're important. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that young people do really well is they're more creative generally in terms of problem solving, because adults, one, have the limiting beliefs that they have developed over time. Two, there are societal expectations that are placed on adults that kids don't have. You know, like kids are dreamers, right? And they we beat that out of our kids pretty early on. You know, like the the kids who are asking the why questions. Why, 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 why is the sky blue? Why is this that? And ultimately adults and, and not just parents, but teachers and they kind of, it's because it is right. And you just kind of shut that down. So kids are much better able to just say, when I grow up, I want to be president, right? Well, what if you sit an adult said, Hey, do you think you could be president? They're going to say, no, I can't be president, right? Kids, 
believe that anything's possible generally and they find wonder wonder in everything and in fact a good fr a friend of mine who's been on the show a couple of times uh, Jen O'Leary, his most recent book, In Awe, is one of my favorites because he actually studied this. And what makes kids really unique is that they have a exuberance and a sense of fascination with all kinds of things, right? Like you, it's pretty easy to, to see a kid who experiences something for the first time, you know, a slinky. You know, like it's going down the stairs and they're, they marvel at it. They wonder at it. Or think about when you were a kid, the first time you hopped on an airplane, right? Now it's like, oh, we put to go to TSA and stand in line for 10,000 hours and it's crowded seats and it's so horrible, right? But as a kid, the first time you're flying, Oh my God, I can see I'm above the clouds, right? And so that's really the, the big, one of the biggest differences too, is that we, as children approach things with such a sense of just pure unbridled passion and wonderment, kid, adults don't do that. And so, you know, John spoke about doing, trying to be more childlike in, in the way we approach things because kids have that flexibility cognitively that they can look at situations differently. Whereas an adult who may have more of an external locus of control too, that is, and that just simply means that, you know, you, you perceive that things are happening to you that are out of your control. Um, you know, that makes it harder when you have an external locus of control, when you lack that flexibility, it is harder for you to overcome things. I think also a lot of the times I if give similar advice to leaders we kind of take for granted things that happen even in our own organizations. So if you bring that, that childlike sense of awe and that willingness to ask questions, one of my favorite things is to talk to people in a part of the business I'm not that familiar with and just start asking questions just like a kid would, you know, mm -hmm. explain it to me like I'm four years old. Like how do these invoices get paid or whatever? The reality is if you follow that thread long enough, there's some pretty amazing things that your, your coworkers are doing and it makes you a better well-rounded leader. When you have that appreciation, they walk away better for you taking an active interest in what they do. You might even get some ideas about your own department or your own team or leadership that you can sort of incorporate. So it's, but it's a practice that doesn't happen all that often. Like you said, we've, we beat it out of ourselves. We certainly beat it out of our kids in terms of coming in and, and asking those questions and, and just opening ourselves to possibility like that. Right. What's, what's the ELI five, right? Like it, it's so right on that if you just go into a situation without your ego and just presume, you know, nothing and ask questions, you're going to get information. That's critical. I love it. I love it. Well, now, Dr. Richard, what I like to do for my guests at the end of, of a segment is I like to write a game. And when I looked at your, your, uh, your background, and I know that you're the host of a podcast that's called The Daily Helping. And I know you've done extensive work in schools because you're the president of the nonprofit Every Kid Rocks. So I wrote a game for you that I call Food Fight. Oh, my God. All it's right. Gonna be, it's going to be completely ridiculous. What we found was that we found these uh, kids. I saw an article and it, it uh, interviewed kids that are age four to 15. And it says, what do you love or hate to get in your packed school lunch? So I'm going to give you a food item and you're okay. going to tell me whether the kids Thought it was one of the worst things to have in your lunch or one of the best. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I told you, you know, the wheels could come off. You never know. All right. Here's the first one. Tuna fish. 
kids say it's the worst or the best to get tuna fish in your lunch? Oh, I'm going to say they thought it was the worst. You are right. It is the worst. They said it was stinky. <laughs> kids are smart, right? Uh, how about another one? Uh, apples and oranges. The best. It is the best. And uh, parents say that because of expediency, you should slice the apples and peel the oranges because kids are on a on a time crunch there. That's true. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Uh, baby carrots. The worst. Actually, surprisingly, the really? best. The best. Really? Although I did read that some schools require the parents to cut them in half or to cut them into sticks. I don't know if it's like a choking hazard or something, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I only got a couple more. How about the veggie chips? Kids like veggie chips. I'm going to say the best. They do, but these kids didn't. Really? <laughs> yeah, they put it on the worst list. I'm surprised. Uh, there's a lot of sodium. Maybe these kids are into their macronutrients. Maybe. They're, they're, they're health conscious. I don't know. Okay. Another surprise. How about this one? Turkey sandwich. I got to say the best. I would have said the best too, but these kids are very discerning. They said it was the worst, and I have no idea why they wow. said that. What if I missed four or five? This is uh... it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I, missed, I missed them all. I missed them all. And then the last one I had. This is the most bizarre of all. It's called chunks of food. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it means when you take like a block of cheese and you cut it into little squares, you take like a piece of salami or something, you slice it up into small bits. All right, I'm gonna say they like chunks of food. They do like chunks, right. of food. They like chunks of food. And the reason they said it is because they they only get 20 minutes to eat lunch. And so when they're chatting with their friends, they want to shove something in their face. So there you go. Food fight. Yeah, a lot of my kids, we learned about their eating habits. I've only got one more question for you, Dr. Richard, which is where can my listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So the mothership is drrichardschuster.com. And that links to my podcast and my technology company and my charity and everything that I'm up to. Awesome. I'm going to include links to your mothership and to all those directly in the episode notes. So listeners, you're only one click away from finding out more about Dr. Richard Schuster. Dr. Richard, thanks again so much for being with me today. Absolutely. Loved it. Here are my novel and nourishing top three takeaways from today's episode. One, awareness comes in many flavors. Personal discovery can come from intentional reflection, a growing sense of discontent or disengagement, or a life-changing event. However it happens, pay attention. Two, show up. When in doubt, take action. By being active and doing something, anything, you increase the likelihood of creating connections and new opportunities to engage and create value. Three, think like a child. Never lose your sense of wonder and amazement. Try to always look at the world with fresh eyes, and whenever you have the opportunity, ask questions to increase your understanding and broaden your perspective. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. I'm going to say they like chunks of food. They do like chunks right. of food. They like chunks of food.